Hello and welcome. I'm Herman Stewart. You are listening to the Finding Your Path podcast, a place where you will hear from our guests on how they found their paths in life, family and their careers. Today, we will be spending time with Lycon Mohammed, who is a secondary school head teacher, and he shares about his experiences of growing up in a rural village in Bangladesh with little aspirations to gaining a full scholarship to Oxford University. Start having a dream, and the next bit is I would put in the work that's needed. No one's gonna hand in to you, you have to put that work in. During this talk, Lycon had so much to share about his career progress, upbringing, and the personal challenges he has had to overcome. This is good, so let's dive in. So today, welcome to another Finding Your Path podcast where we have guests that come in and share their story, they share their history, they share their passions, and and we've today got Likhan Mohammed with us. Hi Likhan, how are you today? Hello, Carmen. I'm very well today. Thank you very much for having me. I am so glad to have you today and I'm looking forward to us having this, this discussion around your aspirations, your journey and so forth. But before we do that, I'm going to read your bio just to give the listeners a flavour of who you are. Laika Mohammed was born in a remote village in Bangladesh. Neither of his parents had been to higher education and aspiration was limited to the boundary of the village. Early in secondary school, Lycon was challenged by his science teacher to dream bigger, which he did. His dreaming led to him winning a national scholarship that funded the rest of his secondary education. Lycon's scholarship enabled him to move to the capital of Bangladesh to study in a private school following a British curriculum. He completed A-levels in physics, pure maths and applied maths, which led to Lycon gaining a full scholarship to study physics at the University of Oxford. Lycon is now a head teacher in one of the most prominent academy chains who has helped students to secure apprenticeships at Mercedes McLaren and Coca-Cola along the way. So Likhan, it sounds like you've done a lot. It sounds that you've really been blazing a trail in your life concerning education and so forth. And I just really want to go into that and find out a bit more about you. But before we go into that, I want to just delve a bit into you. And I want to say, if we was to look at Likhan, if you was to go back to yourself at eight years old, who was Likhan then? What was he doing? Ah, that's a long, long time ago. <laughs> Suddenly making me feel a bit old there. <laughs> uh, dear. When I was uh, eight years old, um, I think my world was very limited. Uh, it was in a small village uh, in Bangladesh. Um, I would be going to a primary school. And um, I... I can say quite clearly that I did not even know how to dream. I, I had very limited vision of what I could be because I did not see any anything from outside the boundary of that village. We did not have electricity. We did not, of course, have TV. Um, I would not have seen a car. Maybe I've seen about two or three cars in that whole, whole life of eight years. 
and um, I've seen people working in the farm and I've seen people working in a tiny, tiny shop. And I thought maybe I would not have to work as hard as everybody works in the farm. And, and, and that was it. I would be able to play a little bit. People would play a little bit of football um, in certain season because you did not have a football pitch or anything. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a, it's a very different life over there. Wow. That sounds so far removed from where you are now. You know, you being a head teacher in, in, in an inner city school with lots of children, lots of students, you've, you know, you've done lots of things. And, and, and there's, there's something that you said that was really interesting when you said you did not know how to dream. Tell me a bit more about that. What do, what do you mean you did not know how to dream? Uh, I suppose um, the, the ability to dream, dream for your future to be something slightly beyond what you are seeing happening in front of you is a skill set. It's not something probably everyone is just born with that they start dreaming about becoming this and that if they have never seen this and that. So, so what I meant, I suppose, was I never thought I would get outside the boundary of that small village because I did not know how to even dare to think that at one point that could be a possibility. And and uh, it was only only slightly later on in life when I went to secondary school, so probably about 11 or 12 years old, um, I had a science teacher and she she saw something she i think saw a spark in my eyes when i was doing certain science lessons and and she started asking what would you like to be what would you like to do and 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 that inability to dream this is why i said that i did not know how to how to dream i would i would simply say well probably i i will work in that shop or in that farm and she had no disrespect for someone who was working in the shop or the farm but she was, she was just trying to make me feel that I can dream something else, something I might really enjoy, perhaps in, in science. And, and, and initially, I thought she was a bit crazy, to be fair. I thought, why is she bothering me? But, but, but she didn't give up. She kept on pushing. And at one point, I thought, maybe she's right. And I started big, and here I am. <laughs> So, so yeah, that's what I meant, that I, I, I don't feel that I knew how to think of a future which is outside what I can see immediately in front of me. What you just said was so powerful in a sense of you could not see where you are now. You never saw beyond your village. You never saw beyond the, the things that were immediately around you. You thought that you'd have to work within the, the farm, which and you said, there's nothing wrong with that. You was even thinking about how you could work less in the farm, like he was already trying to, <laughs> to cock corners. Trying for a shortcut, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and you had someone that saw something in you, you know, and I mm -hmm. think I feel that that is so powerful when you think about, um, the need for mentors, the need for people that see greatness inside of us before we even see inside of ourselves. And if you was not brokering or you wasn't leveraging on um, your teacher's belief, your teacher's vision, you mm. possibly couldn't be, you know, you possibly wouldn't be where you are now. And and I feel that that's quite powerful. I mean, have you, have you ever 
reached out to that teacher again? Have you saw that teacher since since then? Uh, I have um, I have reached out to that teacher before I moved to England, but but that teacher knew that I'm moving moving to England. But you are absolutely right. There was no way I would have driven a car in my life. I would absolutely not not drive a car. That the future would have been there. That the students who went to my primary school or or initially in my secondary school, their life is very different. And because of this one person asking questions, seeing that there might be something I would get interested in, uh, asking me to actually believe in myself and, and pursue that was very crucial. So, so for, for children to become happy and successful and ready for this society, it is absolutely crucial that people who are working with those children and, and, and all the people who are in their lives actually challenge them and believe in them. Those two things have to come hand in hand. They have to challenge them to, to break the, the, the mental barriers they have and they have to believe in them. And, and that teacher um, did that to me and, and, and that's why I have moved on. And, and of course, she, she I suppose, always believed. I, I felt like when I told her what I was doing just before leaving Bangladesh, she wasn't surprised very much, like almost like, yeah, I knew all you had to do was just believe and do it. I'm, I'm really encouraged by listening to the start of the, the story. We're, we're going to talk about a lot more um, as we go through the podcast. I mean, when I look at some of your achievements now, you go to Oxford University and, 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 and doing physics, you know, so, so, so I'm just kind of looking how far that is from where you've come from. I mean, what kind of person would you have to be to make that kind of step? Because people can see things in you and still you don't implement or apply yourself. So what qualities would you say that, that are prevalent within you that has helped you to grasp the belief in someone else and apply that for it to become what it is now? Well, um, in a nutshell, um, when, when I saw a simple correlation in, in year eight, when I was in year eight, I saw a very simple correlation between putting hard work into something and getting a result. There is no mystery to it. So once the teacher managed to, once my science teacher managed to um, convince me that I have the power. I have the ability in my hand to decide what my future is going to be. So that belief bit is ex extremely important. But just believing in I can I can do anything is not going to let me uh, be that anything I want to be. So the next step was understanding that you need to put in the work. So in year eight, when I started to put in those work, I started seeing that I am moving up the ladder. And, and this was literally ladder, unlike in UK. When you go to your lesson in UK, we are doing register in the morning. Uh, we, we do register according to the alphabetical order of your name. In Bangladesh, it was very different. In Bangladesh, um, end of every academic year, you do an exam. And depending on where you come in that exam, your name would be called during registration according to that. So there were about 40 students in my class. And I was usually about the 38th or 37th in year seven or in my primary school. And after that hard work I started putting in year eight, I started climbing up. 
and I, I became one very soon. I, I became at the top of the list. So that was obvious, and that's a quality I, I feel something I take pride in, that I would put in the work that's needed. And um, in very soon when I got a scholarship to go to a different school, uh, that's when I moved from Bengali medium to study uh, UK curriculum to do GCSE from year nine to year 10. That's when I started to believe that I can be anything. I can literally be anything. And, 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 and the path to Oxford um, became quite clear that I want to do that. And I, I knew it's not going to be easy, but I also knew that if I leave myself with lots of options, then and if the dream is one of those options, it might not happen. But if I say that's the only option I'm going for and there is nothing else, then I will make it happen. So when I applied for university, you know, you apply through UCAS and you can put five or six universities in that uh, application. I just put one. I just put Oxford thinking that I'm not going to leave myself another option as acceptable. So that determination that I will make it happen is another quality which helped me to, to come to this position here now. And, and through my teaching career, I have seen that that is so important. When I've worked with students on a one-to-one -one level or in a groups, group scenario, if I can make those students start believing themselves, start having a dream, and the next bit is put the work, because they have to put the work. It's not going to come easy. It's not gonna, it's, no one's going to hand in to you. You have to put that work in, and you have to learn to fail and then get up and move on as well because you are going to have failures on your way. So I suppose um, in a nutshell, sorry, I'm a teacher, so I, I, I do talk and I go in tangent and stories flood scene coming in and I'm a physics teacher, which means I have to think about lots of examples uh, when I am teaching. So yeah, bottom line, summing it all up, hardworking, having the determination that I'm going to make that happen and always challenging the status quo, that actually that obvious answer does not have to be the answer. There could be something better. So that pursuit for excellence, and that goes into your habit. It just starts becoming something ingrained, and then you want to pass it on to other people. That's what would be the crucial part of me, I suppose, which makes me so happy now. I wouldn't say the word success out, so I'm so happy as a, as a human being. And those are the qualities which makes me so happy. Okay. So it's clear that you have had a massive journey because, I mean, even just you saying when you had a UCAS form, you could have put up to five different universities and you only put one and you chose to put Oxford, which is, you know, one of the top universities in the UK and a university that a lot of people do not get into. And there's a lot of different universities that even if you got into those, it would be a great accomplishment, but you never gave yourself even an option B or C to drop into. So, so that just shows a part of your mindset. It shows that there's a, there's a determination, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a definiteness as well. And I feel that that really speaks of some of the characteristics around the can do attitude um, that, that, that you've mentioned that you've, you've got as well. Could you share some of the things that you're really proud of? And, you know, you don't need to be shy. You don't need to have more humility. You know, this is an opportunity to be really out there and just share what some of the big things that you feel have just been like a real big achievement for yourself. 
in year nine, I did a scholarship exam in Bangladesh and, and basically the country was divided into a few, few areas and I came top within that area, which, which gave me a lot of funding to move forward. So that was that's something I would always be proud of. Um, then, then when I applied to go and um, study at Oxford, my parents could not have afforded to send me there, of course. So I, I applied for a scholarship to study there as well. And, and, and the fact that I, I managed to get that, I am extremely proud of that. But uh, th 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 those are, I, I mentioned those um, because if those did not happen, I would not be able to do, do other things that I have um, done in my life. Moving forward then um, after Oxford, um, I'm really proud of um, working at schools. I think that the biggest one is when I was working at Oaks Park High School as a senior leader. This, this is a school near Ilford. Um, I, I managed to close the gap between students who come from disadvantaged background and students who come from affluent background, performance gap from 40% down to under 5% in a matter of two years. Mm -hmm. And I feel extremely proud of that. Uh, I also feel really proud in my um, in my job as a head of college at uh, at a college called Lee UTC in Dartford. There, I I I I learned something very different. So I'm proud of myself for actually understanding that talent can be not just in academic side; it can be completely outside the academic side, and you could be extremely intelligent but you might not show that in, in GCSE grade. I, I learned that. So I feel really proud that I learned that. And then I worked with students there who some other schools were giving up on them. They were trying to permanently exclude these children. And I had those children in, in, in Lee Academy at the Lee UTC. And the success they had after, after being with us for a couple of years is phenomenal. So to name a few, I had I had a few students getting degree level apprenticeship with Coca-Cola and Google. And I had another students who got an um, apprenticeship with McLaren F1. Uh, and, 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 and I think over 2000 applicants applied and only one got in. And this was, this was a student from, from the Lee UTC. And why I'm feeling very proud, of, proud about this is that the atmosphere I helped to create in that, that school was that every child coming in could believe that actually we are in school to be ready for, for the next step, for the real life, for the business world. So every day we need to start acting like it's an interview day. So when we'll go to an interview, we don't have to pretend something we are not and they will perform really well. So any students from that, that school was coming to coming going for a job or an interview they would always come to the top so i feel extremely proud of that and um, recently of course i've, I've taken over as a head, teach, head teacher at bone and academy in in buckinghamshire and uh, the school wasn't performing well at all and the turnaround i have seen uh, since september i'm extremely proud um also i i, I feel that I, sh I should mention i i reached out when i was I was changing things for these students, especially those who are in year 11, because they don't have a lot of time to have a huge impact in their life. So I changed their curriculum. I, I changed who's teaching them. I changed which student is going to which classroom, all sort of things. And I understood that that's a tremendous pressure I'm putting them under. So I, I, I wanted them to have a mentoring 
but I did not have the mentor and I did not have the money to, to uh, buy into a mentoring scheme. So I reached out to, to the local um, people, the parents and our neighbors saying that uh, this is what I'm trying to do. So I, I managed to sell the dream I had for my students to these uh, professionals outside the schools. And I managed to get within a matter of few weeks, 30 professionals like doctors, engineers, directors of large companies saying that they're going to give up their time. And they were then coming into my school, having one-to-one -one session with my year 11 students. And we are we were projecting over 25% improvement in GCSE grade. Uh, so I feel extremely proud for convincing people to do something amazing for, for, for these children. Um, sorry, I was getting a bit carried away. So I think to, these are the things which really springs in my mind that I'm very proud of at the moment. I mean, listening to you, talk you 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 would make a great head teacher you know because you've been you know you've been at the total other end of the spectrum you know you've been um so far away from even where you are now so to be where you are now you you know that it's possible you know and i feel that that would be very powerful um to be a leader that has got that kind of background. At the same time, I I listen to you when you, you sh when you're sharing about um, it's important to you know it's okay to fail, but I know that in schools and the culture in a lot of schools, schools don't promote failure, um, and it's more about ticks than crosses. You know, and we know that in life we we fail our way to success a lot of times, or we fail to know that that's not the one to do. Or and and in a sense, there's there's more of a environment or a culture around understanding that failure is a part of success. So, how do you bring that kind of ethos into a school system that's embedded with? you've got to be perfect or you've got to get it right or you, you know how do you do that that is um that's a very interesting thing you've just mentioned that within school usually success is celebrated failure or trial trial and error that is not a culture we have in schools and and root of that problem comes from uh comes from how we run our school system uh here um, the, the schools are measured, um, schools, schools are held accountable by something called performance measure. And performance measure does not actually look at how often students tried, how much a student has improved. Let's say a student had a very bad time in year eight and in year nine and fell really to the bottom of the pile, but then, then moved up because they tried and tried and tried and got better. That culture is not celebrated through the performance measure, which of course comes from the uh, from from Ofsted and from the government. So they are kind of pushed to just look at the the success and celebrate that. So that's where the root of the problem comes from. And I'm very passionate about removing that barrier from our country. So I'll talk to you probably about that bit in in a second. Going back to your real question, what do I do to develop a culture? within a school or an academy to um, celebrate failure or celebrate effort. So um, easiest thing to do is just give an example 
of um, what I have been doing since September in my current school. So as a head teacher, when I joined Bonin Academy, I realized that everyone was extremely afraid of trying anything. Just they were very worried about being judged. So it was in the mindset and giving a bit more context about the school. This is in Buckinghamshire and Buckinghamshire runs a grammar school system. So a lot of these children tried to do 11 plus and did not get in. So their family and schools, everyone kind of makes them make them feel they are a bit of a failure. So they don't want to try anything new anymore. So how do I tackle that? So to tackle that, the, the first thing I, I, I tried um, and, and I continued doing this because this is important to repeat um, to get the message across was through whole school assemblies where I would have all my students and I would have all my teachers present in that assembly. And I shared a, um, a video of my, um, my daughter, my younger daughter, Eliza, um, walking and she was very comfortably walking over there. And then I showed them another video, which was only a few months back, where she was trying to take her first step and fell and cried. And, and I asked everyone a very simple question that if she stopped trying again, what would happen? Would anyone on this planet be able to walk if after failing the first time, they never try again? Uh, so examples like this, I would, I would bring other examples in, in various assemblies. I would show them um, real life examples of something being tried, it's not working, trying again and gradually i what the message i was trying to get across was that failure is not really the word the word is you tried something to get somewhere and that didn't work so let's say you tried to do a maths question you got an answer but that was the wrong answer well you don't have to consider that as a failure you can consider that you've got now one fewer method to try to find out the right one so so it was coming from various different angles um, and, and getting people hear these things gradually started to resonate between people saying that actually I need to try again. Now that alone would not change the culture. The next thing you need to do is you need to walk the talk. So you need to start celebrating those efforts. So the reward system in school, um, I, I changed the reward system in school so that every time we found that somebody tried something, couldn't get there and tried again and didn't give up and tried again, that's something celebrated. That's something celebrated through uh, prize, through vouchers, through other things amongst uh, assemblies or sending them a lovely letter home or a postcard home. Everything we did in terms of rewarding students, the biggest one was always focused on people trying so they realized the growth mindset aspect of development and gradually started working. And I mentioned earlier on that my year 11 students, um, that the performance of them um, is likely to go up by about 25% in their GCSE. And that happened because students suddenly started trying. And I remember in September when I went to their English lesson and, and uh, teacher would put a question up, they would not write more than about two sentences because they were worried about being wrong. And in February, I would see those same students writing two pages because they now knew even if they don't get the right answer, they will find out what's not the right answer and they will get them a little bit closer to that success. So that's one of the, one of the few things I, I would be doing on a daily basis to 
um, to create that culture that actually is not about getting it first time. It's not about that. It's about changing your habit so that you can keep on trying and you don't give up. That's what we need to celebrate. So that that sounds really refreshing in a sense of failure is a part of success. And, you know, I, I love the analogy about your your daughter because we would never even say that a child that is trying to walk is failing. It's just a part, it's, it's a part of the process. It's a part of them getting to a place where they can walk, but it's then the resilience, the tenacity, the determination to keep going, even when the walking is not happening. And um, what I wanted to delve a bit deeper into is I can tell that you've got a passion around this and, you you know, being able to make sure that schools are much more connected to the business world, more, much more connected to the wider world that schools are preparing young people for. But I want to talk about where you shared um, previously that when you became a teacher and you were shocked at the fact that the UK is the worst socially mobile country in the first world. Tell me a bit more about that. I mean, what did you find out that, that we are all yet to know? That, that, that was shocking. That was absolutely shocking, Harman. I, um, I go into teaching, um, in England, um, because, uh, well, because of two things, actually. I, of course, came to Oxford studying physics. I, I thought I was going to be a physicist. Uh, in my fourth year, when I was doing some research, uh, I, I loved the research bit and then physics. I absolutely loved. But I found it absolutely impossible to work with um, the, the people I was working with. They, they make Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory sound like party animal. And, and as you probably can tell, I'm a lot more sociable person. Uh, and I, I, I just could not sit in a room and not have a conversation with people at all. So I thought, oh gosh, I can't be a physicist. So what should I be? And I remembered my teacher who, who changed my life and the love of physics. So together, both those things, I thought, okay, I'll go into school and I'll teach secondary school so I can still do something I love physics. And in my footstep of my, my teacher who, who um, helped me to be here, I did not have a clue where the social justice and education system in UK is. I just go, went through the teacher's training, uh, became a teacher, started working in um, West London near, near Hayes. So I have worked through three secondary school at different positions and about eight years and I did not know that the, the biggest contributing factor to a child's future was, in UK, was who their parents are. I did not know about this. And, and I, I, I still just can't believe that I went through being a teacher in, a second, in three different secondary schools in UK. I wasn't aware of that. And that shows the culture of the school that shows as a nation how we are sleepwalking into deciding where your future is going to be based on who your parents are it is criminal so what happened was um in in about um 2011 um, i i recognized this because i came across this uh, organization called future leaders now th they have changed now they're called ambition school leadership and this organization um, 
uh, as a part of a charity work, they were trying to close the social mobility problem. And they did a huge piece of research, uh, which involved Hayes uh, Group, where they looked at the psychology, they looked at success of people, they looked at how schools performs, what are the contributing factor. And um, they, they realized that if you want to stop this problem in the country, then you need to have head teachers in, 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 the, in the country who are morally, um, morally resolute to solve that problem. And they have amazingly strong leadership quality. So um, I, I, I managed to get a place in their training program and, and got the training. And I still remember the first training I had in Nottingham. I was sitting in this hall and, and they were showing this graph which showed that at very early age, let's say in year two, if you take a student who is really um, high performing and coming from a really poor background, and you took the student who is performing really at the bottom of the pile, but comes from an affluent background, then within about four years, they swap position. So the poor students who was performing really well goes down and an affluent student goes to one of the top 10% in the, in the country. I just could not believe that. I could not believe that. So that is the lack of social mobility means that whether you are gonna go to university, and I'm not saying that going to university is a definition of being successful, but it's one way of saying that do you actually have high aspiration? Are you getting qualification? Because how much you earn, what sort of job you can get, getting a, uh, some sort of degree has a huge impact. Now you could do that by going through university or of course going through apprenticeship. So getting that degree, the biggest contributing factor is how much your parents earn. And, and this, I, I just felt this was criminal as a society. We don't talk about it a lot. We don't, we don't hear about this. And in 2010, 11, 12, barely anybody knew about it. I, I did have a lot of friends working in different schools and most of them did not talk about it. Things have changed significantly since then. Um, the educational world is a lot more aware of this, but the gap is still there. The gap is still there. So similar intellectual background at the end of primary school from an affluent student and from a, from a poor student going at the end of the secondary school, their performance would be differing by about 30% or so. Uh, it, it, it is absolutely criminal. So, so yeah, that, that, that's what I found out. And since, since that day, I am trying to work relentlessly to close that gap. That's really interesting. What do you feel are the contributing factors um, for, you know, the example you just gave, where, where someone from an affluent background um, that is not as academically gifted and someone that is from a, a poor background, but they're academically gifted, they would change places. Why would they change places? What are the contributing factors? So I suppose the the contributing factors got to be um, what is the experience they're getting. And we got to probably go into <clears throat> child psychology a little bit about how human develop <clears throat> a little bit. One of the, one of the, key difference between a household where um, where parents are doing well and where parents are not doing very well. One of the key difference between those two households would be routines, whether you have routines or not. 
um, there will be very in, in an affluent background household for a little child there will be very specific bedtime uh, parents would be reading them bedtime stories these are very important important initial um, <clears throat> development factors uh, you would have um, allocated um, tv time how much time they can sit down in front of a tv or how much they're encouraged to read a book so these are simple physical factors which has a huge impact on development. If you don't get used to routine, then it is going to be difficult to cope with um, complex amount of knowledge you try to gain when you are um, towards your later stage of secondary school. You need to be very, very well disciplined. You need to be able to um, resist um, temptation and if you have not learned how to be in routine, you're not going to know how to resist temptation. So now, whether you are coming from an affluent background or a poor background, children are going to have mobile phones. There is going to be Instagram. There is going to be Snapchat. There is going to be Facebook. And is there in front of you? Now, do you have within you the discipline to actually put it on the side when you're doing homework? Or are you going to be consumed by that? These are little contributing factors which is going to uh, go into their um, habits. So that's one of the biggest reasons why you see the gap in performance. The other one comes from aspiration and seeing examples. If you go back to my life where uh, I did not see anybody when I was in that small village, my parents did not go to university. Um, so that's an option I'm not thinking about. When children are growing up, their role models are their parents in the first instance for them to actually learn to dream outside. Someone has to do that from, from education. Otherwise, they're not going to learn it. So we, we have to we have to look at it quite forensically to, to each of these contributing factors. And methodically, we need to um, counter each of them. Only then we can, we can solve the problem. So I think I mentioned earlier on that when I was working at Oaks Park High School near Ilford, that was one thing I was trying to close performance gap between um, students coming from affluent background and and um, uh, poorer background. And to, I, I, I employed again mentors, I employed teachers to work with those students on a one to one basis. And the biggest challenge was getting them into make a routine and start following that routine and actually ask them every day that have you done that? Those little things were, which were not happening at home. But the moment we started doing that, we could see the result in front of us. It's not that those children were not able. So yes, whether whether you are intelligent or not, if your habit's not right, you are not going to perform. And as Einstein says, excellence is not a noun. It is a verb. You need to do it every day. And, and those habits are not grown. And of course, like you know, there is differences. So I don't want to put a uh, broad brush saying that everyone who's not earning enough money is not putting those routine. I'm talking about typicality. I hope that makes a bit sense. It does, and it it, it is startling um, because the reality of it then is that it's beyond school, it's beyond education, it's more around society, you know. And and, and it sounds like those that have have got different expectations or aspirations or different environments that they're exposed to different ways of living, different ways of thinking, different ways of um, disciplining your life um, to achieve certain things. So it's it sounds like it's a bit more, 
it's a bit more broader in a sense of it's outside of school and outside of school impacts inside of school. It is, but I think school can be the be, be one of the key factors which can change it because children are spending a lot of their time, majority of their awake time on a week that they spend in school. So although although it comes from everywhere, but school can change it. School can reach out to parents and create the community. You can you can work with the parents. You can bring bring in business world. You can bring a successful person who's working as an engineer in that Microsoft office to the school and show it to the students who are coming from that same same background as that person. And that person saying that actually. I I am coming from the same background as you. So the role model I was talking about earlier on, that they're not maybe seeing that role model in their parents. They're maybe not seeing the role model in the neighborhood they're living because the neighborhood, most of the people there are coming from deprived background. But schools can facilitate that. We can find out who broke that statistical barrier and actually came out and became successful and get them back into school and show them off to those students, so suddenly they have role models. So yeah, yes, you are right. A lot of it is happening outside the school, but school can be a key. Uh, school can have that key leverage to change it around. Yes, and, and and I totally get it. I mean, when you were just talking, what I was really seeing is it's about exposure. You know, it's about exposure. If you wasn't exposed to that secondary teacher, you wouldn't most likely you wouldn't be on this podcast today. You know, it's, so, 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 and, and, and that, so yes, so even though you was from that community and even though you was from that village, just like many other children was from that village or from that community or been to the schools that you was going to, you was exposed to something and then you done something about what was shared with you. So that's what has changed the situation. So I do get it. And that's why when I'm thinking it is about society, it is about the locality, it is about the postcode, to some extent, as in a sense of the immediate surroundings. But then if you have people that come into those surroundings or come into those surroundings via a school or come into those surroundings via mentorship or come into those surroundings via the right programs or the right moves or whatever it is that people's imaginations can be touched and that they could then consider things outside of their environments, then things could change. So it's about exposure. It's about role models. It's about modeling that role that you can see what is possible. And it it just kind of made me think, that we have a responsibility as adults um, that we achieve as much as we could achieve and be as much as we could be because if we rest on our laurels, if we surrender our goals and surrender our dreams or we don't do the graft to put in those habits in place for ourselves that we can come out of the situations we're in, then it's going to be more difficult for, for those that are watching us or those that are coming up after us. So it, it almost sounds like there's a responsibility for us. But I want to move on because I've got something that I need to ask you now because it's, c- it's clear that you, the young boy at eight that did not know how to dream, 
as now lived the dream he never saw. Now, the man that knows it's possible to dream, what is your dream now? My dream now, <laughs> I don't want to sound um, very arrogant, but my, 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 my dream now is to change the education system in the country and and live in a live in a live in a country where the schools are doing what they're supposed to do so i need to elaborate on that what do i mean i feel that the the purpose of schooling is becoming a little bit dilute in my eyes purpose of schooling is to change young children into grown-ups who are ready for the economy ready for the society with all the skills knowledge and um, values that are fit for our society going forward most of the time schools are not doing it and a lot of school is still based on quite a few centuries back when we had the industrial revolution um, the schools were serving the industrial revolution that purpose they were teaching students how to sit down in line how to change from one class to another when bell goes that was mimicking the industry but now the industry has moved on significantly and the schools are now bound by the performance measures which are coming through gcse results and a level results in a very specific ways they are not actively thinking about preparing children to become successful adult for this economy and that's because there is no link between school and business world. It is absolutely crucial that me as a head teacher and all other head teachers are looking at the business world, asking a very simple question, which is what skills does the business want? And how am I going to instill that uh, skills in this in my students? They they need to they need to start the child's journey by exposing the children to all possible future so a future could be someone might want to go into a very strong academic route someone might want to go down a very strong vocational route so children while they're going through school especially in secondary school from year seven eight nine ten eleven then then sixth form they should have been exposed to every possible way their life could shape up going forward in future they need to see those things and they might suddenly think that's my element as sir ken robinson says finding your element so my dream is every school in the country will be working relentlessly to help children to find their element first of all the second bit will be then every school is giving them the skill set to follow that dream so give them skill set we know are important now i can predict what the economy is going to be in five days down the line how am i going to predict as a head teacher five years down the line what job will be there so i need to think a little bit more creatively i need to think that okay if my student when he's 18 or when he's 24 and he goes to a job and that company becomes redundant in three years what skills i'm going to instill in my students so that he doesn't become or she doesn't become redundant. They are still required by that organization. They might have completely changed their business, but my students are still going to be the one which is going to be required by that organization. Then you look at skills like the ability to collaborate, 
the ability to uh, think uh, in a divergent way, the ability to understand that we are part of the global economy now. So you have got that cultural identity and understanding of the whole world. Those are the soft skills we need to start instilling in those students because um, a lot of the work are now becoming automated. So I can't predict what's gonna happen and that's what all school needs to do. So going back to your question, my huge dream is schools are doing that right thing, preparing the children to be that proud citizen of our country based on what the economy and the business world wants. And that should be same for everybody, irrespective of their background, hence stopping that social mobility problem in the country. That would be the dream. That's a powerful dream. And 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 I would say you don't need to limit your dream, and I wouldn't say the arrogance who have that as a dream. It's about having a dream that is worth aspiring towards and to eradicate social mobility in a sense of the unfairness, the discrimination, the kind of predictability that young people coming from a certain locality are destined to experience without significant interventions is a very laudable dream and one that I would say is one pursuing. So we're coming to the end now of our talk. It, it just sounds like there's so much more we could talk we could talk about but i want to i want to ask you if you was to talk to your 21 year old self and you was to sit them down and used to share a few nuggets of wisdom that you've picked up in in your years what would it be that you would share with your 21 year old self? I would probably say to my 20 year, 21 year old self um, to be very true to what is in my core belief. So not to be driven at any point or not to, not to doubt about what you really believe is the right thing. So a lot of the times I probably have made decisions where there was the right thing to do and there is an easy way, easy thing to do. And I have taken the easy path lots of times, not always. And I would, I would, if, if I was to go back, then I would tell that 21 year old self that actually always take the right one, because although it might be a bit harder in the instant you are taking it, it will make life easier and better and happier in the next stage. And I suppose the other other one I would say is that um, habit, keep on looking forward and backward. So try dreaming, try, try to visualize when you are 30, 40, 50, 60, all those age and look backward saying that what you wish you have done and, and fulfill those wishes. So two things. One is always do the right thing, not never give in to doing the easier option and try to look forward thinking what you would say that I'm not going to have a regret if this is how I do it. So, so to make sure there is no regret. Um, yeah. Wow. When I, when I think about this talk and I think back to the start and I think that I asked you, what would 
you be doing at eight years old and you shared that you would be in a village, you've seen around three cars, never saw anything beyond where you was, to you going to secondary school, being inspired by that teacher and being challenged by that teacher to filling in UCAS form and instead of putting down the five options, you put down one, which is one of our prestigious universities. And then you've got into Oxford and you wanted to become a physicist. And then you saw around the socializing aspect, you couldn't become one. Then you became a teacher. Then you become a head of college. Then you become a head teacher. I feel that's such a fascinating journey. And I feel it is very inspiring. And I I hope that anyone that is listening today, that it shows you what's possible. It shows you that your past doesn't define your future. It shows you that your starting point doesn't dictate where you will end as long as you can have belief and as long as you can be teachable, as long as you can believe in someone's faith that you may not have for yourself, but you believe in the faith that they've got in you, you can become all that you're meant to be. And that typifies why I do this podcast around finding your path. And it's not linear, it's not straightforward. And I want to say thank you, Likan, for being with us today. And I want to give you the opportunity to just say one thing that you'd like to leave with people. I would just like to um, finish by sharing one very simple thought. Um, Human is a very odd species on this planet. The only species in terms of fulfilling the potential is different than every other species. What I mean is, if I ask you how tall does a tree grow, you would say as tall as it possibly could be given the environment. It does not stop at 90% of the possible height it could reach and say, man, I've done 90%, I don't wanna do any more. Human is the only species which does not necessarily grow as tall as it could be in terms of potential. As a human, we sometimes stop and that's because we have a choice. So I would say, you have a choice of where you go. So you make a decision and you will be there. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to find out more about Lycon, you can find him on LinkedIn. And please tell me how you have found the podcast by writing a review as it would be great to hear your thoughts. All the best.